This message comes from NPR sponsor Comcast Business. Is it possible to get business internet you can really rely on? It is with 99.9% network reliability from Comcast Business. Powering possibilities. This message comes from NPR sponsor Stamps.com. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting, no long-term commitments or contracts. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Today, we're going to talk about a swamp creature. A gnarled thing that lives partially submerged in salt water and mud. But this creature isn't scary. It's actually quite beautiful. It's a mangrove tree. And it's got some pretty cool superpowers. For starters, it grows on coastlines in salty waters that would kill most other trees. But not the mighty mangrove they are able to effectively excrete the salt out of their uh, cells. So they're like sweating salt? (laughs) Yeah, effectively they are. You can find really cool pictures online of the leaves that just have these little like salt crystals on the surface of the leaves. Wow. Alex Moore studies these salt-sweating trees in American Samoa. Around the world, mangroves only grow close to the equator— They love tropical and subtropical coastlines in places like Indonesia, Mozambique, and Brazil. In the U.S., they're in Florida. In many of these places, mangroves are under threat, which should alarm everyone because these trees have another critical superpower. They suck carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and trap it in soil and sediment. They're wicked good at it. By some estimates, mangroves can store five times more carbon than forests on land. And the secret to this superpower lies in mangroves' most eye-catching feature, something most trees keep underground, their roots. They have like a relatively thin trunk, um, and then off of those trunks you have sort of this network of smaller root systems that you can see above ground that are called prop roots. Yeah, like these gnarly roots, almost like something from Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Yeah. These so-called prop roots form a dense, tangled network. They look almost like giant nests. And in a certain way, they are, because a lot of species grow up in the protection of the mangrove forest. Alex says mangrove forests are almost like a city. Lots of animals live in them, fish, turtles, birds, even crocodiles and sharks. So you can have a mangrove tree that is maybe just like an apartment building, and then you can have a mangrove ecosystem that is really more of the city that is made up of a lot of these different kinds of buildings. And these mangrove ecosystems, they have a big role to play in protecting the people and animals that live by them. So today on the show, we talk about the marvels of mangroves, the critical role they play in fighting climate change, and what's threatening them. I'm Maria Godoy. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics. With vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon.
Support for NPR and the following message come from Indeed. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash shortwave. Terms and conditions apply. Alex Moore is a postdoctoral researcher at Princeton University. They've dedicated their whole career to studying mangroves. And Alex thinks mangroves are underappreciated superheroes of the environment. They just don't get the attention that, say, a coral reef or a tropical rainforest does. I think one reason that they tend to be less well-known is because uh, they're they're not really thought of as places that are super hospitable for people. Uh, there can be a really tricky system to navigate in physically. You tend to have a lot of different species that are actually quite dangerous. They, they seem dangerous. Dangerous, why? Well, I mean, dangerous just in terms of any number of ways, actually. So, like, one is that the, the, the sort of platform that you're walking on across these spaces is not super solid and stable. And if you are a person who is prone to spraining your ankles, that is very likely to occur right here. if you want to walk <laughs> in those areas. But other things are just like they harbor lots of different kinds of species that are actually quite dangerous. Okay, so they're like complex superheroes like Batman. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they have tricky backstories. <laughs> right, they fight floods and climate change, but they hang out with sharks and, mm-hmm. uh, and reptiles. <laughs> but not all the residents of that mangrove apartment building are shady. These trees also provide shelter for fish, crabs, snails, and other animals. So you have these habitats that tend to act as refuges for species to come into. When they're vulnerable, they tend to grow in those spaces for long periods of time and then move out of those spaces when they become bigger. Um, Sharks nurse in these habitats as well. So there's lots of different things that happen across a mangrove system. Okay, so you have like crabs and sharks and fish coming in and sort of growing up in these mangroves because they're protected by these giant gnarly roots. And then once they're big enough to fend for themselves, they leave. Yep, that's exactly what happens. That's cool. Okay, so it's like a protective city. It's like school. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, you know, they grow up and they, and they learn to be strong and then they leave. I like that. Mm-hmm. But mangroves, they're not just protecting animals, right? They're also protecting people from floods. How does that work? So the prop roots of these mangrove trees will basically slow down waves that come across these coastal regions. And it's called wave attenuation. And so that wave speed, wave velocity, all of those things decrease as they come across these mangrove systems. And as they lose that energy, they then are less likely to damage and impact communities that live near or uh, just beyond mangrove spaces. Is it just because the roots are so big, they're essentially forming like a wall, like sandbags do for some places? Yeah, in very much a very similar way. So it's because they're they're big, but it's also because these trees tend to grow in really dense uh, numbers. So because they have so many of them within a small area, they're also really working together to really cause that attenuation that then helps prevent uh, damage that you might see along the coastlines due to tropical storms or other flooding in- incidents. So we're talking about flood protection, which is obviously important to the communities that live close to mangroves, but mangroves actually have a big role to play globally in protecting everyone. I've actually heard them called super trees. Do you think they deserve that (laughs) title? I I mean, I think they do. Uh, And so if we're talking about things at sort of a global scale, I think one of the most important and maybe underrated um, functions that mangrove systems perform is they do a lot of carbon sequestration. So they take a lot of that carbon dioxide that's in the atmosphere and it becomes a part of their uh, the the bodies of the trees because they use that carbon to build their tree structures. And then over time, when their leaves fall and uh, land within the soil, they then get buried in the soil. Hmm. 
So basically, these trees are sucking the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and trapping it. Yes. So uh, these ecosystems, they store a lot of carbon in in amounts that are disproportionate to the size of of these ecosystems. And so this is one of the ways that people are thinking on a global scale of how we can try to mitigate climate change. Uh, So we need more mangroves. We definitely need more mangroves. In fact, many scientists say mangroves are a critical tool in the fight against climate change, but they don't seem to be a big part of the conversation for most people. And sadly, mangroves continue to disappear, which is pretty bad news because when they're cut down, they release that carbon they've been storing into the atmosphere. So among the biggest threats uh, to mangroves currently are um, mostly human-induced. The biggest one these days is really land conversion. So the majority of mangrove losses that we see across the globe are due to converting what once was a mangrove into usually aquaculture spaces. So fish farming and shrimp farming, that kind of thing? Yeah, Yeah. so those are really, really big. Um, And then the other one is, is actually climate change itself. One of the things that tends to be the most significant negative impact across these systems is sea level rise. Um, These systems, even though they are well adapted to these wet uh, conditions, they can't keep up with the pace. So basically they can, they're, they're adapted to like salty water, but they're not adapted. The waters are rising too fast. Right. The waters, the waters are rising too fast. And, and, you know, insofar as you can be adapted to having salt within your system that you are able to excrete, if you can't get oxygen, (laughs) you can't grow. So, Let's talk about your research in American Samoa. What are you hoping to learn scientifically about the mangrove ecosystem there? So I am interested in going into these mangrove habitats and trying to understand what different animals play different roles within that environment. And so in order to do that, I basically set up cages across these landscapes and the cages prevent certain species from accessing areas of this environment. And so I can measure how healthy is this space with some of these species present and now comparing it to the health of the space when these species are absent to see what happens. Okay, so we want to see how these animals, like, what what are they doing to the city? How are they really contributing it yes. to it? And and will the mangrove fall apart if you take them out? <laughs> <laughs> My hope is that it doesn't, but um, the reality is that it would be good for us to know because the world is changing, and so we should be aware of what the impacts of those changes might be. Okay, but so we're talking about mangroves, but you're not just studying trees; you're actually also studying the people who live around them. You're interviewing them. Mm-hmm. What what does that work look like? My goal has always been to understand the system in terms of all of the parts that are really important to it. All environments are influenced by the communities of people that live within them and live near them. And I think it's important to make sure we include these people in the work that we're doing. Uh, And so in my work, that looks like meeting with community members who live around these mangrove spaces to understand how do they value these ecosystems? How do they use these ecosystems? What are their thoughts about how they are being managed? or how they should be managed. Uh, and the goal in all of these conversations is really to build up a clear understanding of how people feel and to see if the ways that they value the systems, if the ways that they traditionally use those systems can be helpful and included in the ways that we manage and, and restore them. So not only thinking about the science in terms of how we conserve and restore, but also thinking about the social and cultural values and uses that could also be really helpful in informing our restoration and conservation practice. Has it changed your outlook as a scientist at all? 
I mean, I think that a lot of times when you come into a community as a researcher, there's a lot of um, trepidation because they have maybe had previous negative experiences with people who say that they do conservation. Mm. One thing that, that can make these kinds of things really challenging is sort of the scale, right? So climate change is sort of a big scale, longer term effort, whereas trying to find space to build a house for your family is quite immediate. So you have to really be thinking about what are the trade-offs across the different kinds of approaches and choices you might be making. And so I think that I would say what I have learned the most is less about what it means to do the science and more about what it means to sort of be a scientist as like a person communicating with other people and just Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, find where you have overlapping values, overlapping interests, and the ways that you can help each other. And I don't think that's something we are taught to do as scientists, but I think it's really important to do as people engaging in work with other community members. Alex, thank you for this really, truly fascinating conversation about mangroves. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. This episode was produced by Burley McCoy, edited by Sarah Saracen, and fact-checked by Indy Cara and Margaret Serino. The audio engineer was Josh Newell. I'm Maria Godoy. Thanks for listening. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Easy Cater. Committed to helping companies, from nonprofits to the Fortune 500, find food for meetings and company events. With online ordering and 24-7 live support, learn more at easycater.com. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.